Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network on Yahoo Sports Radio. Our first guest is the only living Hispanic member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Anthony Munoz is widely considered to be the greatest offensive tackle in football history. Named to 11 straight Pro Bowls and nine first-team All-Pro teams in his 13 years with the Cincinnati Bengals. It's a career that lasted far longer than many expected. After suffering three knee injuries at USC, Anthony played only one game his senior season. Nevertheless, the Bengals made him the third player drafted in 1980, and he didn't disappoint, missing only three games because of injury in the first 12 years of his career. A member of both the all-decade team of the 1980s and the NFL's 75th anniversary team, Anthony Munoz was recently ranked on an NFL Network survey as the 12th greatest football player in NFL history. Anthony, it's a pleasure to have you on the Talk of Fame Network. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How's everybody doing? Doing good. Uh, we're doing good, Anthony. Uh, you know, I'm wondering, as a kid growing up, as I understand, you were too big to play Pop Warner uh, football there in Southern California. <laughs> and uh, at that time, as you know better than I, I guess, there weren't a lot of Hispanic role models in, in the game. Uh, how did that affect you and affect your interest in the game when you were a kid? Well, it really didn't. Uh, you know, baseball was my first love, so I uh, played a lot of baseball, uh, even though I couldn't play uh organized uh, football. I, I played a lot of sandlot football and a lot of flag football. And maybe it was better because, you know, I was a third baseman pitcher, started playing baseball at the end of, at age of six. So I was a third baseman pitcher. So from eight years old to 13 years old, I was a quarterback. Maybe if I had put the pads on early, like when I got to high school, put the pads on, they moved the line, I wouldn't have had that quarterback experience. So, you know, it really didn't affect me. I loved doing what I was doing as a kid. You know, I loved being a multiple sport guy, but uh, when I got to high school, that's when I first put the pads on. And uh, like I said, for that first day of practice, I was going to be a quarterback. Coach looked at me and said, no, nah, I don't think so, son. You're a lineman. And uh, <laughs> that's all she wrote. Anthony, you, you, you pitched on Southern Cal's National Championship baseball team in 78. Was there ever a chance you'd go baseball instead of football? You know what? I still really enjoyed it then, but uh, I think by that time, the confidence and the belief in maybe I could play not only at USC, but on the next level on the football field really started to come around, especially my junior year. I think that's really when I the confidence and I, I said, you know what? Maybe I can play on the next level. So even though I still wanted to play baseball at SC, I think my you know, my, my focus and stuff had kind of switched at time, that time over to football. We're with Anthony Munoz on the Talk of Fame Network. And, Anthony, I mentioned earlier about those knee injuries that uh, limited you your senior year. Just wondering, how concerned were you that that might affect your draft status? You know what? I, I knew that it probably would, but my, my main focus was just getting to a camp. It, it didn't matter if it was as a draft pick or as a free agent signing, because that's basically what people said was going to happen. A lot of people were saying the dream was over. So my goal was to get my body in the best possible shape, going through the combine, and making sure that I could at least get to a, um, a camp. So, you know, as far as being overly concerned about, you know, it affecting my draft position, it was there, but I wouldn't say I was consumed by it. It was more, okay, let's get ready. Let's just see if you can compete on that level if you get a chance to go to camp. Well, Anthony, let's go back in the time machine a little bit and see if I got this story right. I believe the Bengals sent Forrest Gregg out to USC to personally <laughs> test you for the draft. And at one point, I've been told by my little minions that he tried to put the pass rush moves on you and you decked him and knocked him to the floor, uh, to the ground. Uh, did you really think that was a good idea? Or what'd you do when he was on the ground? Well, it wasn't premeditated. It was one of those reactionary uh 
things. It's funny because when he was coming out, I knew exactly. You know, I met him in January. The Bengals had flown me out to Cincinnati, so I'd met him after they hired him. And then he did come out to work me out. And basically, it was just him and I on the practice floor at USC. He put me through about an hour and a half, hour and 45-minute workout. And then finally, right at the end, he said, uh, you know, because he was still pretty intimidating uh, when he was, you know, the first got the head coaching job. He was probably, you know, early 40s, still big and, you know, had that southern draw, had that little twitch. And uh, <laughs> so he said, I'm just going to I'm just gonna make some, you know, I'm going to be the pass rusher. I'm just going to make some moves. You just react. And, uh, you know, I knew that going through that workout, they were, the, they were the only team in the top five that did that. So I figured, man, I got to show this guy that I am fine. My legs are fine. And he was out there, and he made a little stutter and started the inside. I took a step out. And when he came in, he tried to kind of put his arm in kind of a swim move. And I took both hands and just planted a nice punch in his chest. And uh, he hit the ground. He hit the ground pretty hard. And I reached over and I apologized. And he just looked up at me and, and just smiled and said, "No problem. That's okay. And I think that's okay. That I think that's going to work to my advantage." <laughs> Anthony, what was it like for a Hispanic kid who played football in South Central LA to arrive in Cincinnati in 1980? Was it a bit of a culture shock, maybe? Uh, it was a little bit, you know. People that see the picture of me with my hair, you know, down to my shoulders, and big old, you know, they talk about the Troy Palomals and the guys. Uh, you know, we had a couple guys in the Bengals. You know, we were coming out of the '70s, so that was kind of it. And uh, you know, here I was, uh, close to 300 pounds, hair down, you know, hair down the middle of my back. 50 pounds of it was hair. My wife and I go to Cincinnati, and it's like, okay, here we are. <laughs> we had a few strange looks, but the, you know, the fun thing about it, though is that the embracement and the really the acceptance really came quickly. And, uh, and we're thankful for that. And, uh, you know, so it, it was kind of a culture shock. I mean, there was not a Mexican restaurant around. I couldn't get salsa. I had to bring my mom back to get some homemade tortillas. And uh, so, you know, we were kind of uh, had a void to fill there. But, uh, you know, 35 years now that we've been living there, it's a great place. We, I mean, we took to it right away. and We made it our, our full-time uh, residency in my third year in the league, and we've been there for seven. There's always that skyline chili, right? Well, uh, you know, it's big there. I can't say that I, you know, I, I've consumed a lot in my 35 years there. We're with Hall of Famer Anthony Munoz on the Talk of Fame Network. And, Anthony, uh, you were once quoted as saying it was, quote, a, a big deal uh, for a Hispanic who wasn't a kicker to be drafted by an NFL team. <laughs> did you feel that you were representing more than just yourself as a player? I did. I mean, it's, it's something I totally understand. I'll be the first to say I'm an American. I was born in the United States. But uh, also, you know, one of the things that my family made sure is we didn't lose sense of history. We didn't lose our culture. My grandparents, great-grandparents were from Mexico. So um, the fact that, uh, you know, I, I was from, you know, Hispanic descent and, you know, being in the NFL, it was, it was always like I've always felt that I've been a role model. I've taken that seriously. I still take it seriously. But the fact that I've come from a culture where it wasn't, you know, the norm to be an NFL football player. So I, I took that, you know, it was not only a privilege, but I, I looked at it as a serious role model to be able to model for other young people. Because, you know, we had the Ralphie Alcetias, and just then that has Frank Corral. We had a lot of kickers, but, uh, you know, to have a six foot six three hundred pound lineman playing in the NFL was rare. And the fun thing for me is for 10 years, my first 10 years, there was two of us on the same line, Max Montoya, who came from East L.A. So, uh, you know, not only were we rare as big linemen being Hispanic, but to have two on the same team for 10 years was pretty special. But, yeah, I did uh, I did look at that and say, okay, you know, here's uh, I dreamed big. I, I was able to make it. So let's, let's share that message with other Hispanic kids, not only, you know, across the board, but also Hispanic kids. Are you 
played in, in two Super Bowls. Uh, you lost two really close games to the, to the 49ers. I'm wondering, all these years later, how many times have you replayed those games in your mind, and what do you think the difference was between those two teams? Because obviously there wasn't much difference. Well, it's been about nine months until you just brought it up, so you know, <laughs> I thank you for that. <laughs> no, as you know, I mean, as you get closer, you know, you get in the playoffs, you get close to the Super Bowl, I mean, the highlights just, I mean, every time you're watching, uh, you know, sports, there's highlights of every Super Bowl, and, you know, there's the goal line stand, and, of course, the, the big one is I'm, I always hope that John Taylor drops the pass that was 34 seconds left in Miami. <laughs> but he always catches it. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, especially uh, when we head west and, you're, you know, we're in L.A. right now, and you always, you always run into some 49er fans. It doesn't matter where you are. And, uh, and they find out, that, you know, that I've played in those games, and they just kind of, you know, they, it's almost like, uh, you know, they, they feel bad for you, but not really feel bad for you. <laughs> Anthony, two questions. One quick one. Do you, do you have any frostbite in that game? You know what? Uh, as a lineman, I have plenty of padding, so I didn't have to worry about that. You probably have to ask the running backs and the wide receivers that don't have as much insulation. But, uh, I, you know, it was um, it was unbelievable. I mean, I said, people asked me, I said, it was just painfully cold. Not only were you playing, like, on asphalt, but it was so cold. And the crazy thing about it, I mean, the sky couldn't have been bluer. The sun couldn't have been shining any brighter, and it was 59 below. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was painfully cold. And second question, are the Bengals back? Is this is this team capable of going to the Super Bowl? I think so. You know, I, I've continued to have season tickets. I you know, I do the preseason games. I watch them every year, and I think this team has not only the the physical makeup, but I think they've shown the last two weeks that they have the mental makeup to to end up in San Francisco. So yeah, I you know it, it's one of those things. Of course, everybody talks about the playoffs. Uh, you know, they, you don't you never hear the ten eleven wins for the last ten or four five years. But I think they have the the personnel. I think they have the depth. Uh, and I think they have, you know, and they've been showing so far. I mean, one of the things I looked at was their extremely tough schedule, and they've started out great, as you know, undefeated, and, uh, you know, they still have some tough games ahead of them, but I, I do believe they have the, uh, the makeup to, to do it. Anthony, I want to follow up on that question about the Bengals. Andy Dalton having a great year so far. Why should I trust him when he's 0-4 in the playoffs, one touchdown, six interceptions? Is this the year he breaks through? I think so, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to be the first to admit it's not, uh, you know, to me, they, it's not uh, Joe Montana didn't beat Boomer Esiason. Joe Montana didn't beat Kenny Anderson. Andy Dalton did not lose to Philip Rivers. It's a whole squad, and uh, you look at all the injuries they've had over the years. Sure, he hasn't played that well, but I think it is. Just watching him, I think he has something that he didn't have in the previous years. And, and a, a key, you know, you asked me, uh, is this team – a team to get there, and I'm going to backtrack and say if they stay healthy. You know, with their perimeter guys, you know, A.J. Green, Marvin Jones, the new Tyler Eifert, I mean, you talk about mismatches. Of course, A.J. was hurt a lot last year. Tyler was all out all season. Marvin Jones was out all season. They were not there. And the offensive line's pretty good. You got Jeremy Hill and Leonardo, Giovanni Bernard. So the key is going to be health. And then I think this is the year that Andy, uh, Andy can do it again. These first two games, or not the first two games, but the Baltimore game and uh, the Seattle game, the way he handled the, you know, bringing them back, I think it's really shown a lot. Speaks volumes. Just before you run, just one really quick question: You have a better touchdown to, re- to reception ratio than Chris Collinsworth, seven catches, four touchdowns. <laughs> who, who was the better receiver, you or Collinsworth? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say it, that I was better, but you just mentioned the ratio of catches and touchdowns. I think you know, I think those guys are always going to stats. So let's just go to the stats. I guess is how you say. 
No, Chris is my guy. I, I became his, uh, his designated spiker for a few years there. And uh, I just would, was just really upset when he would catch the real long ones because I had to really run a long way to the end zone. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's one of those things that Sam Weiss, I mean, to me, he was an offensive genius. And he brought that in, put two big linemen at the tight end position. And really the first game he did that, he had a design play for me to be the primary receiver. And I'm thinking he's a little nuts. I mean, rookie head coach, rookie quarterback with Boomer, and he's calling a play. Well, we have to score a touchdown to tie the Cleveland Browns to take it to overtime. And the primary receiver is his offensive tackle. But it worked out, and I, you know, I kind of lobbied for him after that. Anthony, we're going to have to run, but thank you so much for the time. Okay. And best of luck with those Bengals. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, guys. Great being with you today. Thanks, Thanks Anthony. Appreciate it. That was Hall of Famer Anthony Munoz. Coming up, the Hall of Blame and the worst plays in NFL history. This is the Talk of Fame Network.